Hello listeners, uh, welcome to today's episode of Vertical Voice. Um, as a bit of an introduction, I owe every single one of you an enormous apology. Uh, when I recorded this episode, I was very green and very new to uh, recording things, and for some reason it didn't occur to me that uh, an enormous room about half the size of a football pitch with a wooden floor might not be the best uh, environment for that. So the audio from this one is absolutely shocking, it's very, very echoey, it's it's not great. It's not the most fun thing to listen to. However, I'm still going to put it up because it's good chat. Robbie's dead interesting and he's got a lot of cool stuff to say, a lot of good stuff going on. So my solution, if you want to give it a go, want to have a listen to it, imagine that this interview was recorded in a massive tufa-filled cave because Robbie does spend a lot of time in massive tufa-filled caves doing what he does, climbing about. And they also have, generally speaking, a bit of an echo. So just imagine that Robbie and I are sitting in the back of a big tufa-filled cave. I've been climbing one of the six A's to the side and we're having a chat in there, out of the rain. That'll make, maybe make it seem a bit more listenable and a bit less uh, intolerably horrible like uh, listening to a PE lesson at school. Anyway, enjoy. Hi there, welcome to Vertical Voice Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Taylor. I'm sitting in a spare room at Eden Rock, they very, very kindly let us use their function room, and I'm joined by Robbie Phillips. Anyone familiar with the current world of rock climbing will know that name, but for the uninitiated, here's the message I got when I asked Robbie if he could uh, come on the podcast today. I think it gives you a fairly good idea of what you're in for. Hey man, I'm away at Dublin today, back tomorrow, going to go to Eden for a sesh. Want to meet up for a climbing chat? I'll be flying back in the morning for around 11.20, so should get to Eden 12.30ish. I'm in Aberdeen Friday back Saturday, and in LA from Sunday. Busy week. Robbie, is that an average week for you then, or is that slightly quieter than usual? Yes, yeah, that's, that's a quiet week, actually. No, I'm only joking. <laughs> that's, that's definitely a really busy week, in fact. Yeah, definitely a crazy one. So, uh, if that sounds hectic, I look at your logbook. shows that you don't tend to spend much time sitting still. You tend to, uh, tend to blast about. You're always on trips. Yeah. So tell us, in the last three years, what would you say have been the best best moments, the best kind of highlights. And then later in the podcast, we'll go on to what you're doing at the moment and what you've got coming up in the near future. Yeah, okay. Well, it's a difficult one because there's so many amazing places and climbs that I've got to do and go places I've got to go over the last few years. I guess uh, one of the things I've been working up to, I guess over the last like five years, is completing the Alpine Trilogy. And two years ago, I completed the second um, of the trilogy, the second one in line for me anyway, End of Silence. So completing that was like a, a really big accomplishment for me. Shortly after that, I decided to do my first like, foray into speed climbing uh, with an attempt to link the three towers of the Trecime de Lavaredo, which ended up being a massive flop. So who, who was that with first time? Uh, oh, that was with Callum Cunningham, a friend of mine from Illipool. Uh-huh. And yeah. how, did, how did it go? What happened first time you tried this? Uh, so the first time we got our asses handed us basically. Uh, the Trichimi de Lavrero is an amazing formation in the Dolomites. Three massive towers. And uh, I'd climbed them before. Callum hadn't been there before. So I'd, I'd like a, I, knew the, I knew what the towers were about and uh, I kind of knew a couple of the routes. I didn't know all the routes off the, the link we were going to do, but I knew a couple of the routes already. And uh, we decided to go and practice the routes first just to... To sort of get them wired. So that was which routes where there was just a... Uh, so we did on Chima Ovest, it was the Cassin route. 
Castle um, Real classic, mm. technical level of 7A uh, max. Um, then Chima Grande, which is one of the six north faces of the Alps. That was a big tick. And we did Kimichi Dimai, which is, I guess, like, I don't know, like E2, E1-ish or something like that. Another, another mega classic. Yeah, like 6C uh, max difficulty, maybe 6B plus or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the third route we did was on Chima Piccola, which we did the Prus crack. And it was actually, we simul climbed that as our first ever simul climbing experience together. When was that climb? Because Paul Prus was, he was pretty old school, wasn't he? Yeah, I mean, actually, I don't know the exact date of the first set of that route, but I know that it was, you know, it was in the, it was around in the, in the late 40s. Yeah, he was, he was well ahead of, uh, yeah. ahead of his time, that guy. It's a phenomenal feature. It's just this massive fissure going up this 250 meter tower. And uh, we climbed it in, the first time we did it, we climbed it an hour and 10 minutes. And it was, uh, it was pretty crazy because you're just inside this massive chimney and then suddenly you're on top of this tower. You get spat out and you're yeah, on you're top. Yeah, sp- you spat out of the tower and you're just like, where the hell am I? Um, it was amazing, like climbing it in like an hour and 10 minutes. So it was pretty cool. Superb. So in 2012, you did an interview. I, I can't remember which one it was, but a quote from that is, of course, I'd love to take what I've learned into the mountains and do some truly amazing hard multi-pitch and alpine routes. So obviously that's gone fairly well. Yeah, I guess so. So you, you got the second ascent of Dave McLeod's route in the Dolomites. Yeah. The one, what was it called? Project Fear. Project Fear. And there was another one that you did that has only, was it Project Fear that's only just had its third ascent as well? Yeah. And first non-Scottish ascent? Yeah, well actually that's quite quite funny because those guys, it's Lukasz Dudek. The two Polish, Lukasz Dudek and Jacek yeah. Matuszek or something? Yeah, yeah, totally. Probably mangling their names. Yeah, no, those, well, those two guys are friends of mine. Mm-hmm. Um, I've met them on like quite a few... Oh, brilliant. Um, yeah, quite a few trips. And they were out that year that we did the link up and they were there to try a, a new route that they're working on, or that they were working on. And I said to them, I said to them in the car park, I was like, oh guys, you should do Project Fear. I did that a couple of years ago. I think it would be right up your street. And they were like, oh, right, okay, cool. Um, and then I said, I gave them all the beta. They went and did it, and yeah, oh, yeah. they smashed it. I was like, flipping psyched for them. It's interesting it would be uh, Poles that do the first non-Scottish ascent of that route, because I always find, well, I always think, rather, that Poles and Scots are quite similar culturally yeah. in a lot of ways, and also as mountaineers. Yeah. Kind of, they've, they've got their mountains, we have ours, and they kind of train there and then go elsewhere. Yeah, that, that so makes it's sense, kind yeah. of interesting culture of hard climbing on sometimes stuff that's a bit loose and a bit sketchy. But uh, other ones, so you said about your Alpine Trilogy, mm-hmm. so what were, the, what were the three routes from that? Uh, so the first one I did was Silbergeier, put up by Biet Kamelander. Cool um, name, cool guy. Yeah, that's in the Ratacon, Swiss Ratacon. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second one is End of Silence, put up by Thomas Huber. Mm-hmm. And the third one, which is the one I've yet to do, it's the one I'm, gonna, I'm training for right now for this summer, is Des Kaiser Neukleider. That's a Stefan Glovac route, and it's in the Wilder Kaiser Mountains in Austria. Great. Yeah. Wow. So, so that's, that's one of your plans for this summer then, to go and finish this trilogy off? That is the main plan, because... Brilliant. Originally, originally my plan for the Alpine trilogy was to go smash them all in a summer. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> the best thing is plans of mice and men and, and all that. Yeah, and I was like, I went and did Silbergeier, and I thought, you know, that was pretty hard. I think I'll do something easier. Who, who did you do that with? 
Um, well, actually, originally I went to do it with Monique Forrester, who's an Australian climber, mm-hmm. and then she had to go. And my friend uh, Willis Morris, who's a Scottish climber, I have he, noticed that name in a couple of your blog posts and things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's a super cool guy. And he came out and uh, he joined me for Silbergaier, and it was it was kind of cool. Like I, I worked through it with Monique a, a bunch, and then really I think I only went up once with Willis. To work through it like one day with him and then I decided to go for a red point attempt yeah um, a couple of days later and I did the route on that attempt so it was a fairly quick uh, ascent it was my first red point attempt at the climb actually wicked uh, another route that you did with Willis is is it Paciencia yeah on the north, on the north face. face of the Iger <laughs> yeah. so when you guys went up and did that Sasha Dugulian and Carlo Traversi were working it at the same time yeah and I understand there were some wet pitches that you guys they had fixed ropes so they could kind of jug past the wet pitches and then work the ones that they that were dry yeah whereas really you cool. guys did it uh, kind of not ground up I went to yeah, was we that, did it ground up, yeah. Was that a kind of deliberate decision or was that just convenience? Or? Um, I mean, we only... I kind of approached Paciencia just like... I mean, I didn't plan to project it. Yeah. I just planned to go and try and do it. Yes. Um, like just... I, I wasn't thinking like ethically or about any style in particular. Mm. I just I just wanted to go climb that route and I thought it's about AT and I know I can on-site AT... So maybe I could do that in a in a day or two, you know, if I in one continuous push. Um, so we went for it one attempt, and yeah, when we arrived there, Sasha and her and Carlo and that, they had like their fixed lines and everything, and they were kind of projecting it, mm. which is I, fair enough. I have nothing against oh, that yeah, style totally. of doing things. Um, and then and so we just attempted like that. But then our first attempt, um, yeah, we got uh, spat off because the the, the rain the came weather in, turned, like, the weather turned. And then you guys went back, and was that when some anonymous benefactor yeah. gave a hand? So how did that come about? That was really cool, actually. So it was it was basically this guy that followed me on Facebook and Instagram, and I'd never met him before in my life. Mm-hmm. And uh, he just he, yeah he just followed us and kind of like uh, was like really involved in the sort of story of our, this trip that we were doing. And then when I said I said, I said oh, you know Willis had to go back. Um, I said on a, on a Facebook post Willis had to go back to Glasgow to work and you know now I'm partnerless and he just got in touch randomly and said listen if you want I'll uh, put some money towards Willis getting back out there wow and and you know what I was like it was really cool and and I was like you know Willis won't accept this because I know what Willis is like yeah and true true enough but Willis was like really against it he was like I'm not taking money it's, it's, it, we, it's we kind of have this thing definitely where we don't want to be in someone's debt especially if we don't know that person yeah the guy was really like ins- insistent and I actually was really inspired by like by his I get I was really like psyched by his like inspiration behind our that's our really trip. interesting um, so I managed to convince Willis just to get out because actually I had I had lined up another partner to do it with another friend of mine Ian Cooper who I've done a lot of stuff with as well but I wanted to do it with Willis because it was something that we'd started together yeah it was you you both of your project you, know, yeah. you didn't want to kind of leave your partner and jump on it with someone else and have them feeling maybe a bit uh, yeah a bit totally yeah. and and so Ian Ian had it was really funny we were in Chamonix and Ian was all set to go and do this with me and then I got a message from Willis saying that he was going to come out, back out and I just said to Ian I was like me, I think uh, Willis is going to come back out, back out. I'm really sorry, um, yeah. but I'm going to have to do it with Willis. And Ian was super cool with it. He was like, yeah, no worries, man. That's I understand. Good. That is good. Um, 
so that was really cool that Willis came out and then yeah we went for a second round and, and it all went well when, when was the first time that you went out to the Alps? Because obviously you'd climbed to a very high standard on sport and trad. And then you went out to the Alps and seemingly just transitioned straight away to doing these really big, really hard, hard things. So what was the first year that you went out and did that sort of stuff in the Alps? I think, I mean, I'm not, I'm terrible memory, but I think yeah. it was 2014. That's rapid. I think it was. That's cool. <clears throat> maybe in 2014 yeah I think I was 24 and basically I'd been I'd been in Australia um, sport climbing out there and a friend of mine Logan Barber um, we had been chatting about going to the Dolomites to try Bella Vista mm-hmm. and I I can't I don't really know exactly why um, it was Bella Vista but I remember having always seen this picture of um Alex Huber on it mm. in this in the campsite in Sirana, and I always kind of thought, you know, maybe we could, I could go and try that. And I did. I had no idea what that was all about. I just thought it looked awesome. Yeah. And in my mind, since from when I was a kid, I've always kind of had it in my mind that I'd love to go and do like big mountain routes, like big rock climbs in the mountains. But I don't know, like the way my the way my um, focus for climbing had always been was always in like real hard technical sport climbing. You, you started out indoors and you did loads of comps and stuff. Yeah. And then transitioned to the outdoors. Yeah. I'm guessing it was outdoor sport first. Yeah, exactly. And then trads. And you've yeah. had a slightly more kind of conventional, traditional. Well, honestly, from there. honestly, um, it wasn't. It didn't really go. It didn't really go indoor sport trad multi pitch. Mm-hmm. It actually went more like indoors sport multi pitch trad. strange enough like I had been out trad climbing but trad climbing wasn't what I was psyched for specifically I was just psyched on going high like I wanted to go into the mountains and I wanted to go up these mega routes and I didn't really care if it was trad or if it was sport I just wanted to go up and be up there in the mountains so actually it was the multi-pitch aspect that came first and then the trad climbing was more training for the multi-pitch. Okay. Um, yeah, kind of, so when I went to do Bella Vista with Logan, I'll be honest, I was shitting my pants. Like, like massive exposure, something to- a bit new and a bit different. Yeah, the first pitch is like, I don't know, like E6 or E7 or something mm-hmm. like that, you know? And I was, I was totally gripped on it, and I was way out of my comfort zone. And, um, and then like the crux pitch is like an 8C pitch, with some bolts and some pegs wow. and you're taking like big whippers onto pegs and the pegs come out and I was it was it's like one of the most exposed places on the on earth the Dolomites are something else for exposure aren't they yeah you've got those beautiful green valleys and then the scree the acres and acres of scree and then the limestone towers yeah and then these jagged Jeez. mountains that you just see like they're when really, you they're quite surreal very vivid colours kind of very yeah. very harsh light yeah totally and from like the Tachime the, the view is unbelievable. Just like mountains, like as far as the eye can see. And it's all really rocky terrain, but these really bright green like pastures as well. Yeah. Like the sort of, the sort of the almost like scree meadow that is um, up on the Trechime that you can, you can kind of look down onto. It's, it's surreal. It's like this crystal blue like lake, you know? And yeah, it is, it is something else. It's really a beautiful. beautiful place. Yeah. Um, so you, you've just got back very recently from uh, doing a bit of a talk and presenting a film in Dublin. Yeah. And this film is Blood Moon. Yeah. So tell us a bit about that and the story behind this, uh, this route. Yeah. So Blood Moon is 
the film about us going up to Madagascar and putting up a new route on uh, one of the big walls in Saranoro. Um, so this is a huge granite granite thing. This is what, 700 metres? 700 metres, yeah, exactly. Wow. So, yeah, pretty big. Um, I first found out about the climbing in Saranoro from a book called Parwa de Legend. It's uh, Arnold Petit. Yeah, exactly. That's, uh, for the viewers, that's actually, you can find that online for free as a PDF because it's no longer in print and Arnaud Petit has uh, very graciously made it available. It's in French, the photos, are, the photos aren't though, and the photos are incredible, you know, they really are very, very impressive. I mean, the entire book's in French, and I don't speak French, yeah. but I have Did a... Did you get some help with the translation? No, I mean, I just literally like, I have, I mean, I've, 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 uh, I use it more for inspiration, just because yeah. it, it, the way it's, um, I guess the way it's designed is it has, uh, each section by country so you can kind of go you know, USA and it shows you like Yosemite yeah and it, you know obviously shows you like France like Verdun cool idea for a book yeah really cool a bit like uh, Mountain Crags of the UK mm-hmm. whose who's was that came that out was uh, Guy Robertson yeah Guy Robertson <coughs> there's yeah. another book that's come out recently that I think is really cool is Chasing the Ephemeral I've got that yeah so you've got that yeah, yeah it doesn't have so winter climbing again you're fairly new to winter climbing yeah I remember it wasn't all that long ago you did an article for UKC about a fairly bimbly day going into Hell's Lum that was Rock and Ice was it Rock and Ice yeah that yeah, was, yeah. That that was, was for their epics yeah I was actually saying the other day there that I just published another article for Rock and Ice on another epic I had and it's now becoming, I'm not sure if it's a good thing or a bad thing, the fact that I seem to be, keep having yeah. all these epic epics to okay, write about. At least you're writing them down, that's, that's the important thing. Yeah. What, uh, what was this epic, this, this latest one? The latest epic? Yeah. Uh, the latest epic, I've just forgotten about it. What, what was it again? Can't have been that epic. It wasn't quite, it was, oh no, it was, um, it was the Madagascar. Oh, oh the, the yeah, leg, yeah, so yeah. yeah, carry on, so Blood Moon. Oh yeah, so, so um, the, the Blood Moon epic, was we, we went out to Madagascar to put up a new big wall route. On the first attempt to free climb the route we just bolted, and with three pitches up, it's Alan's lead. And bearing in mind, at this point, Alan's done very little climbing in the last couple of weeks, um, mm-hmm. because we've just been kind of like, mix of free and aid to bolt yeah, the line. stuff and yeah. hanging on sky hooks and bolting it. Exactly, and it's, it's kind of crazy how different it is to actually just going climbing. And you said you chipped a tooth when a sky hook pinged yeah, up. Yeah, that's another story actually. Oh no. But um, Alan, um, Alan was, his feet were just above the first bolt, he'd clipped it, and he grabbed his flake, and the flake broke. He did this pirouette around my head oh. and just fell straight over me. And I just remember it was like slow motion. His leg just was straight and he came crashing back into the wall and it just snapped in, in two, yeah. Oh no. So how, so obviously you were only thankfully only got three and a bit pitches up. Yeah, we were really, really near the ground. Um, like a bit more than a hundred meters, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually we also had fixed lines. So that was, you know, ideal, easy oh, to get. thank goodness, yeah. Just easy slide to get, straight down. Just slide straight down. So I told Callum, who was with me, just to go down first to get help from the village. And I had to just put um, Alan into a sort of rescue abseil, tandem abseil, mm-hmm. and just get him off the, off the wall. The <clears throat> whilst I was abseiling, I was kind of struggling to, to handle Alan because his leg was kind of hanging off one side and, and it was obviously hurting with any movement. Horrible, yeah. And I was really struggling to keep his leg away from the rock. 
So what I did was I turned my body around and just grinded my ass down the slab um, whilst I was absolutely down. taking one for the team down a granite slab as well. Yeah. And when I got when I got to the bottom, when Alan, we finally got to the base of the wall, and we got Alan lied down and um, you know administered first aid to him. When I had time to like check myself, I had the least seductive pair of asses chaps in existence. Just like my ass was in complete view. Just put them on uh, outdoor gear exchanges, lightly used. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, get a laugh that way. It was quite funny. Um, even funny. Alan was laughing at that. Oh my god, a man with a broken leg. Yeah. Really funny. That's, that's he, was, he actually apologised. I'm sorry about your trousers. Never mind my leg, it's in like three pieces. Yeah, I know. God, that sounds grim. Yeah. But so you, you went back uh, with you and Callum. Alan, Alan was off safe at the hospital, well, safely to the hospital, <clears throat> as safe as the hospitals are. I, I imagine it was a well, little bit. Alan, I went with Alan to the hospital in Fianarantsua, which was five hours' drive away. Oh, with a broken leg. With, um, he had four tramadols. Which, as I say in the film, sent him sky high. Yeah. Like he was rolling his eyes and everything. It was yeah. quite funny. Where, where can people watch that film? Uh, Blood Moon. Well, you can get it online. There's a full um, 40 minute, 45 minute edit that you can get on Posing Productions uh, Vimeo page. Oh, um, nice. It's also part of the Brit Rock film tour. Sort of so if people download. don't see that, they'll see. Yeah, but you can also that. you can download uh, Blood Moon as part of the Brit Rock film tour as well. Oh, great! It's yeah. like a, a shorter thirty-five minute edit, um, but it also comes with a few other films. But I definitely advise people going for the full edit because there's loads of stuff, like an extra ten minute of footage, which is actually like really worth it. It's really fun, like cool. some really good funny stuff in there. That's ace. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, you went you went back with Callum. Yeah, so we went, went back to the wall, um, and yeah, we went for a second attempt at the climb uh, obviously without Alan and this time yeah we did it it was it was phenomenal yeah it was it didn't go down easily I mean I actually managed to free all the pitches on my first go but not without a good struggle it was about we were about three quarters of the way up and Callum hadn't managed to climb the crux pitch um, which was where we were which is basically where we were had our portal edge about three quarters of the way up yeah so in order to make as much time for Callum I decided to climb through the night that night to see if I could get to the top of the wall and then just abseil back down to our portal edge so that Callum could have as much rest uh, the next game day to, to give him the best chance of success. Definitely parallels there with uh, Tommy Caldwell and uh, Kevin Jorgensen. Actually, yeah, I never thought about like that. But yeah. it actually is kind of like that. Kind of, kind of funny I'm definitely right. Tommy Caldwell yeah, in you this. Get, you get to be Tommy. <laughs> yes. That's, what about, what about that, the Dawn Wall? I mean, obviously it's had a repeat. Andre's climbed the Dawn Wall. Yeah. Is that something you'd give a look at someday? Um, I, I don't think I would ever, I don't know if I'd ever really get that psyched on trying to do the Dawn Wall. Mm -hmm. But I could see myself wanting, you know, going up there and, you know, trying individual pitches for fun. That would be cool, yeah. Yeah, that'd be cool. I think, like, that was their project you know that was their baby as such and I, I think to go and repeat that you know it would for me someone like me it would take at least a similar amount of effort um, but it wouldn't be your baby but it wouldn't I be see, my yeah, baby yeah, you know I what I mean yeah, yeah. <clears throat> um, where, you know Adam Ondra he's so he climbed good. so quickly yeah I, I, mean, was, I was shocked because it's such a weird style of climbing it's all these techy little weird thumb presses on the ground I wasn't shocked at all really like you know Adam okay. Ondra he's phenomenal like he's the best climber in the world and he's uh, so adaptable to so many styles and I think he's got that he actually has got that dirty filthy you know like gnarl 
um, yeah. style down to a T, which I think you really need to be good at um, for like, you know, for Yosemite. You need to, for the hard stuff, you really need to be able to like pull on dirty, filthy little crimps. And I think from climbing in like the local crags in Czech, he's like, he's just really good at that, you know? I guess it's quite easy for, for me. I mean, I guess most of what I see is Adam Ondon overhanging limestone. Yeah. But he has, he does climb everything. He yeah. climbs hard cracks, hard hard grit just hard everything he's, he's phenomenal you yeah. reckon he's the best best climber in the world oh, and I'm no, without no a doubt, doubt at all. <clears throat> yeah he's the best climber that's pretty cool for someone to be that <clears throat> far ahead of the pack yeah pretty special I think there's a lot of climbers who are bet, are stronger than him like I, I've no doubt about it that there's like Alex Magos is <clears throat> I'm pretty sure Alex Magos is like stronger than Andra what do you mean when you say stronger like physically, physically <clears throat> what stronger. Alex can do fingerboard or like campusing or just in like a straight on physical pure you know strength style mm-hmm. like I've no doubt about it Alex is like amazing phenomenally strong but Andra has this um, adaptive style that he doesn't need to be that strong to to climb hard you know because he's so determined his technique is so his technique so is flawless dumb. his mental strength is the, vid- the video of him trying to on-site the Sarathe and I think he's trying to on-site the Sarathe in a day. Yeah. That was incredible and he's, he's trying so hard in it. He gets to those cracks on the upper head wall and he takes a huge fall and he does the kind of traditional Andra screaming thing. Yeah. He's so intensely invested in what he's doing. It's, it's really quite inspirational. Yeah, I actually, um, like I don't, I was talking to uh, Sean Villanuevo O'Driscoll because oh, yeah. he was on a trip. We were like a few weeks ago, we were on like a trip up to Scotland, um, up to the north of Scotland together. And he was telling me, because Nico Favres was Andra's Belier for that. Yeah. And he, apparently Nico was just crapping himself because um, wow. Andra, he was just like placing like one cam every like 10 meters. Just zero and fear of... Just no fear at all. Just being like, well, the ground's miles away so I can take any whipper I want. And yeah. Fine. But it's just like, I know like, it's, it's fair enough, you know, a cam's, a cam on that granite's probably not going to rip, but still... You know, yeah. You, you you kind of like have it in the back of your mind, like te- he taking ten meter runouts between cams is like I'd probably want another one in between, you yeah. know, just in case. But I guess he's just like so just, just doesn't give a crap about it. Yeah. So it's just a case of well, the extra cam would be extra weight. And yeah. The time to place it would be extra time, so I just won't. Yeah. It's amazing. That is incredible. I think it's amazing it is. to kind of yeah. cut away normal fear to that extent. Yeah. That's really cool. Um. Obviously, like uh, those are these are things that you've. I mean, you've done stuff in Yosemite. You've done quite a lot of stuff in Yosemite. You've done free rider. I've not done free rider. I've done Golden Gate. Golden Gate. So that's like a so harder that. variation. Okay. Uh, it includes everything on free rider up to um, after the monster off with, and then there's like a there's a tower that you climb up, and then you break out right instead of going directly straight up. Um, so you know where the boulder problem did you do the boulder problem no pitch? no the boulder problem okay. in Teflon corner and oh, uh, endurance corner that's all in freerider so I, instead I do for Golden Gate I do a 12C down climb it's 7B plus down climb 12C down climb it's called it's called the 12C down climb an abseil as it is normally known flipping desperate wow it includes a one legged squat downward squat on a smear um in, so this is the other incredible thing. In my mind, I was like, oh, I'd really like to try an on-site Golden Gate. I've heard it's quite sporty in style relative to other um, El Cap routes. And I, I figured I had a good chance. And actually, I slipped off on like a really easy pitch, low no. down. 
And oh, a shame. I was like, oh. But that'll have taken the pressure off, though. Take the pressure off, and then and then I onsighted it all up to the 12C, and then I fell off the 12C as well. And then and then I onsighted the rest of it, so I onsighted all the, thir- the 513 pitches cool. as well. That's pretty good. Which I was really happy with, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But interestingly enough, Uli Steck, he's had the closest almost onsight um, of LCAP, and that was on Golden Gate. That's interesting. He onsighted the 12C down climb, which I just think is. Amazing. It kind of does make sense that a guy well known for his soloing would have practiced down climbing. <clears throat> yeah, but this, it's just so weird. It's, you know, honestly, it's something I would have thought a competition style boulder would have been better at than any <laughs> rock climber. Okay. Because it, it's like you're smearing on a volume and then like, and you, your thumb is on like some little sprag, you know, on like the, yeah. side of a, a, the side of the wall. And you're just kind of like stepping down. It's just the weirdest move. I'd never done anything like it before, really. Cool. Um, so you've obviously you've done a huge amount the last couple of years. You've really ramped it up in terms of the size and the kind of difficulty of things you've been doing, these massive hard routes, future goals and future projects. And here are a few things that I've called from various articles and blog posts of yours in the past. Uh, Cochamo? Cochamo? Yeah, Cochamo. Cochamo project. How's that? Yeah, it's really hard. Really hard? Yeah. Cool. So describe it roughly for us, obviously. None of us are going to go and try and steal it. I don't no, think. no, I'm, I'm, I'm confident no one's going to try and steal it. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like out in, I mean, Cochimo is in northern Patagonia in Chile. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of this beautiful, amazing... It's like the Yosemite of South America. I mean, it is called the Yosemite of South America. And it, you, when you go there, you see why it is that. It's, there's nothing as... I mean, well, no, there is. There is stuff that's huge. Um, but I guess there's nothing um, quite steep as El Cap, mm-hmm. but there are some amazing walls there, um, some huge walls. And this, this one that we spotted whilst we were there is called La Junta, and it's really near the campsite, but it's the only wall that we saw that had some really steep climbing on it. It looked like it had some it had orange rock rather than that. Orange rather than grey, yeah. Grey, yeah. Grey equals slab, orange equals steep. Yeah, and, and we it's were talking... about granite, isn't it? Yeah. It's and kind, it's, of, kind of the same with limestone as well. It's the same with limestone, yeah. It's dead handy. <clears throat> and it's, it, we just saw it looked amazing. And we were looking at it with binoculars from, from below, but we couldn't quite get out what the features were like up there. And there was this, this awesome looking seam that kind of scarred across the main overhang. And um, we were talking to people and they were like, yeah, we've some American climbers and, and Argentinian and Chilean climbers had said it would be a great aid climbing project. And we're like, no, nah, we want to go free climbing. And they were like, well, good luck with that because there's no way that seam will take gear and you know, it'll be very thin. You won't be able to get your hands into it. We, we went up there and we aided up. We first, we aided up a line to get to the seam. When we got to the seam, we found that just underneath the seam, there's like a ripple of rock. Oh, wonderful. Um, a ripple, like a bat, ripple of, like a sort of wave feature. And it offers just enough handholds and footholds to kind of get you through it. And then, and then the seam gets really steep, but it gets bet- becomes bigger holds. And uh, it's maybe like a 45 meter pitch, but like a massive traverse, cool. like huge diagonal like line. Um, and uh, after working that pitch for two years now, I've, I'm pretty confident it's like 9A in terms of difficulty. That's fantastic. Yeah. When, when are you going back, do you think? I think we'll go back this winter. That's exciting. Um, planned to go back this winter um, in December, which isn't like the best conditions for Cochimo. Usually January, February is better, but we're also, we've also got kind of plans to go to Torres del Paine and yes. try and do a new route there. 
will definitely have to do a follow-up interview at some point. Yeah. And go back and look at all the different things that you, you're working on and thinking about and see how, how they've come on. Yeah. This is one thing that, uh, so just before this podcast uh, was recorded, Robbie, Robbie and I spent a couple of hours at Eden Rock training and I got an absolute beasting trying to even vaguely keep up with what Robbie was doing. But Robbie is uh, very, very open about his, um, his projects and things that he's trying. And obviously, you know, you, leave, you, you talk about what you're doing, you leave yourself open to accusations of being, you know, overly confident or, uh, or maybe being a little bit uh, too kind of, too keen to, to talk about things before they're in the bag. What, I mean, what, what do you think about your approach to, you're very open about telling people what you're trying and what you're trying to do. Yeah, I think it's just, honestly, it's just my personality. From when I was very young, I've always enjoyed talking to people and, mm. and speaking about things that I want to do and it, you know not you know, when I was younger it was like you know talking about where I wanted to go on holiday or you know like yeah. you know what what sports I was doing or whatever you know um, and and a climbing for me it's kind of the same like I don't feel like there's anything to to lose or to gain from really telling anyone about what I'm planning and it's just nice to share that yeah it's kind of nice yeah. to share I did get a lot of flack like early on when I was a kid, people thought I was being arrogant and boasting. Yeah. But I guess as I grew up, um, people realized that I wasn't being arrogant, I wasn't boasting, I was kind of just... Yeah, he's saying what he's going to try to do. Yeah, I was kind of just manager. psyched, you know, I was kind of like just... Yeah. And, and you know, I've, I've, met other, I've met other people who are the same. Americans are kind of like quite similar, I guess. Mm. Maybe I'm not typically British in that sort of like style, keep everything to yourself, keep your cards yeah. close to your chest. Um, but I don't think there's anything wrong with that, really. No, no, that's 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 fair play. Um, other things you have spoken about or mentioned: Polar Sun Spire on Baffin Island. Yeah, we planned to do a trip there years ago, me and Jacob Cook, and that was before I'd really had a lot of time uh, climbing on big walls and stuff. Um, and that trip was it was something I was really psyched for. And I still am really psyched to go to Baffin Island. It's like way up there on my list of places to go. But I we basically came to the conclusion that I probably wasn't ready to go on a trip like that. Um, we went, we were in Yosemite that season and it was the season I did El Nino. Yeah. Um, it was my first time in El Cap. So obviously since you first thought about this and now you've got a huge, huge amount of experience. Yeah. So now do you think is the time ready? Is it ready for you to go and have a crack at this? Yeah, I think, I think sometimes soon. Um, I think like there's, <clears throat> there's a lot to be said for you know, being able to climb hard big walls um, and being ready to go, you know, to like really alpine areas and yeah. like, and go into like Baffin Island or go to Trango Towers, things like that. Yeah. Because they're too, you know, the, you could go to Madagascar and climb like, like I did and climb like hard, you know, sporty big walls or, you know, Golden Gate and um, El Nino. They're kind of like, they're kind of face climbing, you know, and, and that's kind of playing to my strengths. Yeah. Going to Baffin Island is very different. It's like It'll the be, Arctic Circle. Yeah. There are polar bears and the rocks had weird weathering going on. Yeah, this is real expedition climbing. Yeah. You have to have so many skills. And I know a lot of people that go out there who have their, their tick list, people would argue is like way less, I guess, way not as impressive as mine on paper. Mm-hmm. But I would almost consider them. I would consider them better expedition climbers than me. That's reasonable. And yeah, and so I would, 
I would say they're more suitable candidates for going to the, those trips. I just, I just don't ever want to put myself in situations or put other people into situations that are dangerous. Um, you know, when I went to the Dolomites, um, what I realized was confidence in my climbing ability mm-hmm. um, came from knowing that I could get myself out of situations. Yes. Yeah? yeah. It's like knowing that I can save my friend. It's knowing that I can save myself. The Dolomites are almost tricky in that, I mean, yeah, they're a, they're a proper alpine area, but they kind of feel more like cragging. Yeah. So you can get caught out by these. I've seen in the Dolomites a rainstorm break, and within about five minutes, the walls are just sheets of water pouring down. Yeah. You can hear the rocks. <clears throat> it's horrendous. And I, in a way, I think they're probably more dangerous than the kind of Chamonix Alps, because in the Chamonix Alps, you can see glaciers, you can see its big mountains, and you, you prepare accordingly. But in the Dolomites, it'd be so easy to get caught out, I think, especially trying to go fast and light. Yeah. Well, we did. We got caught out um, on our first attempt at the Terechime. Uh, three towers in mm-hmm. a day um, me and Callum got within one pitch from the top of Chima Ovest yeah so like you know like I don't know how big that is it's like I don't know 600 metres or something like that you know and uh, this you're, you're storm, really exposed up there though I mean that's like the highest point for a long way around totally we were hanging underneath this roof there was no stance um, we were just our legs were like dangling oh. in air and we got hit by this storm and it lasted maybe two hours, mm-hmm. and we got battered by rain and hail hailstones, and you know we we only had like I think I had like a small like Houdini jacket, which is like this tiny little thing that like scrunches yeah, up like yeah, a little yeah. tennis it's ball, like the size of a tennis ball or something, and, and it clips to your harness. Callum in like true Cunningham fashion just didn't bring anything, so he was just like there in a t-shirt, like, and I was kind of huddling him for warmth. Like this is like that's like you've done this so many times now it's getting beyond the joke but um, yeah I mean it was, we're lucky that those storms in the Dolomites they generally only last a short time although I know that they can last longer but you know it's very easy to get caught that that happens so and quickly and it could go so badly couldn't it yeah imagine trying to retreat in one of these big streams of water I mean, you'd be at risk, risk of drowning more than anything also yeah I, I don't know how we would have retreated on that wall because it was um, we'd just done the Cassin route mm. and Retreating the Cassin is like re- going to be really hard. Like it's it's like a point of no return. Um, it is scary, isn't it? Yeah. Just how quickly you can become committed. Yeah. To this kind of pretty hostile terrain. Yeah. Um, you mentioned Triangle Tower there. Golden Pillar of Spantic is something you've mentioned to me. Golden Pillar of what? Spantic. Or maybe maybe it was Triangle Tower. Was it Triangle Tower? Triangle Tower yeah. is so the Nameless Tower. Um, is that the one that's got this? What was the route called? Uh, Eternal Flame. That's the one. Ah, oh, what's a golden pillar of Spantic? I don't know, but you're gonna you're gonna <laughs> Google it straight away after. Yeah, I'm gonna look yeah. up it. Um, yeah, so <clears throat> this is like another another. I don't really know where it has come from, but it's something I've always thought about. Eternal Flame. It's in Parwa de Legend, which is that Arnaud Petit book, mm-hmm. and it is the hardest. I think it's considered oh. the hardest high altitude. Um, big wall climb in the world. Well, that's that's a pretty tempting target, isn't it? Yeah. And that tops out at what seven thousand? Yeah, seven thousand meters wow. altitude. So yeah, it's it's high enough that it's going to be feeling pretty weird up there. Well, I it's, imagine it's grim just walking at that height. Yeah, I've never done anything remotely near that height, so mm-hmm. I'm not quite sure how it's going to be up there. And I'm still very much a little bit 
unsure how I'm going to train for that. I guess how I'm going to prepare for the altitude. It's really difficult to get those kind of two things, like having the cardio up way high. But yeah. also still being, you know, not having too heavy legs and still being climbing at a really high standard. Yeah, well, I don't... The thing is with this, my training right now for the Alps is all about being strong enough to perform, you know, 8B plus, like 514A. Yeah, to climbing, the pitches. Like really easily. Mm-hmm. Um, but to climb on Eternal Flame, that's different. That's like, it's basically being able to climb uh, 513 and 512. It's like 7B, 7C plus kind of grade really quick really fast and really smooth you know yeah because and, and a lot of it is a very consistent climb there's a lot of sus- it's very sustained climbing face climbing a lot of cracks that kind of yeah thing. i think there's face climbing i think there's i think there's a lot of cracks on it i think there's a lot of like um sort of easier climbing that you'd probably just want to be able to like sprint up and yeah. that's probably where i fail in granite climbing mm. is on this easier terrain but being able to move fast just being able to get your weight on your feet and go yeah. go 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 yeah, clip, yeah, yeah. Clip, clip, next BLA. because you know if I had if I had like seven days to get to the top you know um, with perfect weather and we you know kind of capsule style just like doesn't slowly. seem very likely though does it at that point no time? exactly I was like you probably just want to be moving fast and yeah. so I that's I'm, I'm going to have to totally change my, my training for that very specifically yeah on the subject of uh, things that have got like wildly different training kind of methodologies behind them You'll know about Dave McLeod's, uh, like, his eights thing that he did. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's cool. That was phenomenal. Yeah. That's, I don't think that's got quite the recognition world, like, globally it deserves. As yeah, a, probably as not. As an feat. Yeah. So, for, for podcast listeners who are not aware of this, Dave McLeod is a, a very well-known Scottish climber. He did, he did a day where, in Scotland, he climbed a grade 8-8. Eight, eight. Uh, was it an 8-A boulder problem? Or I think it was plus? an 8. No, I think it was... I can't remember. I think it was an 80 boulder problem and an 80 plus sport route. Or maybe it was the other way around. I can't remember. Yeah. And then you know, he went and did eight Monroes afterwards. And eight Monroes in a day is actually quite tiring to have done an 8-8 winter route on that day and got that in condition and everything. That's impressive. But to, to add the other stuff, and an E8 trad route as well, to do all of that in a day, there cannot be that many people who have that capability and that mix of capabilities. Mm. But uh, you you recently seconded one Greg Boswell up. Uh, he was the th- he made the third ascent of a Dave McLeod route Anubis. That's right. Yeah. That's on the comb face tower. Tower face of the Quizits and on the bend. Um, I don't actually know the name of the the crag to be honest. On on the bend, it's on Ben Nevis. Yeah. 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 North face of the bend. Yeah. Wild, and you did this in February of this year in what has otherwise been quite a poor winter climbing season. Yeah. It's been too warm. It's been uh, too wet. Yeah. But you, so you seconded, and it's, it's this really wild crack, crack climb, isn't it? Um, what Anubis is? Yeah, uh, it's not. It's not really a crack climb. No, I mean like it. It goes up to like this massive diagonal um, sort of like fissure, yeah. and you kind of get your body inside it. And you kind of like wriggle around inside it, cool. and then it, you kind of pull it on this really overhanging section of rock with like really bad smeary feet and just like the really thin seams in like the backs of like blocks and you're getting um, just a little pick yeah in, in fact actually to get to the seams you have to pull on like sloper ledges oh. with just like the edge end, very very end of your your pick yeah like it was phenomenal watching Greg you were bailing him for what three and a half hours or? yeah something like that <laughs> wow you must have been frozen I afterwards. was frozen yeah and it's horrendous because I mean you start off the ledge you <clears> pack your belay jacket away 
and you've got no warm up, you know, you're straight into horribly hard pulling on axes. Yeah. It's a, it's a hell of a feeling that, isn't it? Yeah. And but I mean like it the climbing at the start is like a little bit tricky but not too bad. And then by the time you, you, you get into this like fissure, this diagonal fissure that you have to wriggle up, and um, you know, when you're in that, all your core and all your muscles are kind of tense just trying to stay inside yeah. it. So you warm up really quickly. Yeah. And then by the time That's you for the best. Yeah, and then you and then you're and then you're ready to go and then you've got the boulder problem. And then once you're through the boulder problem, there's like another tricky technical bit above that. Wow. So that's had three ascents now, which just shows you how, I mean, Dave McLeod, he's really been pushing the, the grade, well, not pushing the grade, but you know what I mean, pushing the, the limits of what's possible up yeah. there at Scottish winter. And that's, I think, the sec- is that the first or the second of only two routes at that grade in Scotland? It's, so the, the second, the, the second route of that grade Banana is Wall. Banana Wall. And that was Greg Boswell. So well. Greg's the first person to have done both the hardest routes. Well, that's, yeah, that's quite, of course he is. Yeah, that's quite yeah. special. But you know what's really unique about Greg's approach to that route was mm-hmm. the ground up style. He did it ground up. Yeah, he did it completely ground up. And, and you know, like figuring out what to do on that angle of wall, um, on those marginal um, placements, um, the core tension required to climb up there is phenomenal. Like, and finding the gear would have been so difficult. So it's an E8 in summer. So basically, Greg, you know, did a winter, an E8 in winter conditions, ground yeah. up, which I think is just, it sounds bonkers when on paper. That, it is outrageous, isn't it? Yeah. The level that it's got to. And what I, I was really, I mean, I, I'm quite good friends with Greg. You know, I've known him, we've known each other since we were kids. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's really cool seeing like, the direction he's gone in the sport we've kind of both went in different directions and now yeah. we're kind of converging again that's really cool that's really cool that's kind of cross-pollination you know he's gone one way learned these things and I'm guessing there's stuff that you can teach him as well about yeah definitely as a rock climber that's for really sure. healthy really good yeah totally but I think um, what I was just really inspired by with Greg was his ethos he just really and it doesn't come from any like ego or kind of like or arrogance but he he wants to preserve the adventure the sort of like the spirit of um, style of it. the climbing you know like that that winter climbing I think that's yeah. what we fell in love with climbing you know the winter climbing was because of the adventure and just like pushing out there I did wonder a couple of years ago with with the kind of hard you know top end mixed climbing you know it's happening on really steep cliffs now it's happening you know, there's rhyme all over the place but I did wonder if kind of pre-practice might become a bit more accepted in Scotland but I don't I don't think it is not because of any stylistic reason but simply because it would be such an a horrendously grim thing to do. Yeah. Like imagine going, setting up a top rope or setting up a rope and then shunting a winter climb. It would be it would be heartbreaking and horrible. I mean, like, well, just because it would be, like, horrible, like, just as in so cold. Yeah, and so, imagine. Yeah. But I also... And I don't know, this might just be my naivety mm. speaking because I'm not totally immersed in the winter, you know, community. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I've got loads of friends who are winter climbers and stuff, but I kind of feel that winter climbing has this kind of like solid ethic um that it does that that other yeah, other disciplines of climbing fail to like hold on to you know like trad but it like, starts off it's all on site and ground up and yeah. then years and years later you've got people top hoping stuff practicing yeah. things head pointing but i, I kind of and you know this might be completely my naivety um speaking but i kind of feel like with winter climbing it just won't go there i just i just don't think it will It'll be interesting to see, but I think you're probably right. 
Yeah. If it does, I mean, it might it might go there. People might try it, yeah. but then I think they'll get chased off. <laughs> I mean, th- there was one guy, the, the now now deceased uh, Alan Mullen. He did a bit of that. Oh, did he? Yeah, he was kind of the enfant terrible of winter climbing. Yeah. But he was he was very much kind of uh, the only person that was doing it. Yeah, and maybe there's been a bit of like, you know, checking out routes in summer. Oh, there's been a lot of that. Yeah, sure. yeah, yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. yeah. And going and maybe making sure that that patch of turf is a bit is well anchored and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, I've I've done that as well. Yeah, and I, I kind of I'm not really that bothered. I, it doesn't really matter to me. But I, I kind of don't think we're gonna like show up at you know Corinne Lockin and yeah, have like top ropes. Top top ropes. Yeah, it's unlikely. <laughs> True blue, what they call the auto beelies. <laughs> At the that's, top of the crack. Well, that's, that's what we're going to be raising money for to install yeah. uh, the auto belays at the top of Snechta. Sweet. That's magic. Yeah, I can't exactly. Wait. It's a worthy cause. Um, <laughs> I want to wrap up the interview there, Robbie. That's been fantastic. Lots of really interesting stuff. And uh, hopefully, we'll do a follow up interview at some point soon. Yeah, I'd love uh, to. Hear how you've gone on with all these really inspiring and really ambitious and quite, uh, quite, quite cool projects. Looking forward to seeing the films and photos as well. Yeah, thanks, man. Thanks for having me on the show. I mean, there, there are so many more things that I could have spoken to Robbie about today, and hopefully we'll get him on again. I mean, for example, coaching, route setting, just travel in general, but uh, that'll have to wait for another time because uh, bandwidth is limited and so is the hard drive on my MacBook, hmm. sadly. So thanks again, Robbie. Yeah, no worries, man. Speak to you soon.